everybody. Welcome to my stream this evening. Tonight, E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones is going to be joining me for a catch up on everything that's been going on, all of the latest insanity. We're going to be talking about the uh, what's it called? Monkey pox. I'm just trying to ignore it, but it's so hilarious as well that you have to be able to have a good laugh over it. Two, and we're going to be talking about Roe v. Wade and all of the other things, Davos, of course, which is going on at the moment. So let me bring Michael in. How are you? Let me unmute you. Thank you, Gemma. I'm doing fine. Good to be here. Oh, thank you so much. You're so generous with your time because I know you're in demand. Now, how are you enjoying the latest scandemic? The um, old monkeypox is with us. It's not going. It's not going to work. Uh, we already know that it's a uh, venereal disease. The the cases that we have have been traced back to two gay pride uh, parades, uh, which uh, lead to orgies uh, and lots of uh, exchange of body fluids. So uh, monkeypox is spread by body fluids. Uh, which means you have to have close contact. And if you don't have close contact, you're not going to get it. So, uh, but but the, it, it has been given, uh, it, it, once more, the homosexuals are vectors of disease. I hope, I hope no one's offended by this, but it's a simply a medical and epidemiological fact that this group of people is just one big uh, 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 confluence of of uh, diseases that get spread by sexual activity. And this is another one of them. Yeah, although they have yet to be able to identify and isolate the HIV virus, which is a little bit odd. But certainly as far as spreading disease is concerned, there's no question about that in terms of diseasing the, the minds of our children and um, I was I saw some story there it's not this one here but that's an interesting one while I'm looking for the one that I I wanted to talk about um, have you seen this Michael that um, woke the woke your woke army is considering letting soldiers change base or state if they don't like local laws on gender racism or abortion that's well, this, nice this is this is one more great achievement. Now, John B. Watson said that uh, armies are the main purpose of armies is social engineering. And so you, you, you have people, you can bring them in, you can regiment them, and then you can do whatever you want. Now, usually this means sending them into battle so that they fight effectively. But now it's taking on cosmic proportions here and basically promoting all sorts of the social agenda that is wrecking the country. So the big, the big question here is uh, what is going to happen when these people actually have to go into battle? And uh, that doesn't sound, the prospects do not sound good. So we have a situation now in the Ukraine where it is not going. We, we have a sort of trial run here because we're using a lot of American weapons. We're putting them into the, the hands of the Ukrainian army, which, as far as I can tell, has not been socially engineered. They have a lot of uh, volunteers, uh, irregular units like the Azov Brigade, the neo the Nazis there. Uh, but it's not going well. Now, uh, how well are these people are going to be able to pick and choose where they join and pick and choose uh, the conditions under which they will serve? Well, what happens when they go in to battle? Do they pick and choose then? 
Uh, and if so, what will the consequences be for their military commanders? No one seems to be talking this way. You're faced with a real war where the, um, the NATO side of that war is not doing well at all, even though they seem to be uh, fairly regular soldiers. Add the chaos that you can imagine that comes from uh, recruiting this type group of people uh, with weapons that aren't really effective. And you have the recipe for a future disaster if this country ever goes to war. Yeah, I mean, it's ju just absolutely, you know, it gets crazier by the day. It's hard to keep up with it. But of course, it is the New World Order slogan chaos order out of chaos and that's absolutely what they've been creating i mean have you been following what's been going on in davos in the last couple of days michael have you been keeping up to speed with that no no i haven't i think i heard zelensky gave a speech there uh and he was applauded by the oligarchs uh confirming his status as a puppet of the oligarchs which i've been saying all along but other than that no i haven't been following what's going on there yeah, no, it's, I mean, they've been talking about, well, all of the things that we would absolutely dread, but uh, I think they've taken it so far and they're so unhinged at this stage that, you know, hopefully more and more people are going to see through it. But um, well, I, th I think I think I think this is the lesson of the war in Ukraine, in the Ukraine. They're bumping up against something that we would call reality. These are people, for the, the main aspect of the, from our point of view, the American point of view uh, of the war is a relentless propaganda campaign where they just make it up. They're making it up. And for, for weeks, we've been hearing that uh, the, the Russians are on their last legs. The, the army is mutinying. The, the weapons are blowing up in their hands. It's terrible. It, it can't last. Putin's in a bunker. Uh, there's an assassination attempt. And then suddenly, oh, wait a minute. Uh, Mariupol just fell. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, all of those people holding out in the uh, cellars of the Azov style steel plant have all surrendered. Oh, no, surrendered. Well, no, no, they were evacuated. So what you're seeing here uh, is uh, the propaganda machine bumping up against reality. Uh, this is a new uh, a new idea for these people. They feel the truth is the opinion of the powerful. If there's one rule that dominates the media in the United States of America, it is that truth is the opinion of the powerful. And if they say it, it's true. Well, it turns out that this war is showing that that's not the case. Yeah, I think they've probably exhausted it at this stage. People are sick and tired of listening to it and you know we've seen we've really seen it here i mean i think ireland probably in europe has been more targeted in terms of immigration ukrainians just moving into every single corner of the country and getting everything laid on i mean michael they're even talking about putting the ukrainian language on the irish curriculum now that's how crazy it has got are oh, you kidding me yeah yeah I mean, but it's it's total gaslighting. It's, you know, let's just see how much they can take before they get off their knees. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the big question. That's the big question. Uh, is there going to be a reaction and where when is it going to start and where is it going to be? So it's only a matter of time because we have a situation now where the demands of the empire have never been more extreme 
and their position has never been weaker. So that's a bad combination. So, something's going to give at some point or other. The question is when and where. Well, yeah, you would hope so. But then we look at, say, you know, the, the high levels of vaccination and the submission in the West in particular to their demands during the, the lockdowns. And we now are facing a situation where the World Health Organization is seemingly going to take control of um, sovereignty and, and be the deciding factor in terms of, you know, should countries lock down if there's a common cold on the loose what what do you make of that? Do you think they're serious about this, that we could have a situation where, you know, governments say, well, the WHO have said that there's a pandemic, so we're just going to have to do it, that they will have the legal authority to implement lockdowns over and above sovereign so-called well, governments? Uh, first of all, we uh, speaking from Indiana, we simply didn't have, we never had a lockdown here. We, we, there was always been a, a, a resistance to this thing from the beginning, and the resistance only got stronger over time to the point where you would isolate, basically, the local uh, head of the health department was obviously a stooge of the World Health Organization, but he fa it came up against a lot of local resistance. There was a whole organization that came into, basically into existence to oppose him, uh, and I think they were fairly successful. There were simple things that he wanted to do that simply people just refused to do. And then at a certain point, people people stopped wearing masks. And then at a certain point, he had to catch up to that and say, OK, you don't have to wear masks now that nobody's wearing them anyway. So I don't know whether we're the I don't know how this compares to Ireland, uh, uh, but that's the situation here. And if it didn't work with uh, covid, it's not going to work with monkeypox. Because there are just too many. First of all, what I explained to you is the story that's coming out, and that's not going to scare normal people. It's only going to scare people who engage in that type of sexual activity. So it's going to fail every bit as much as AIDS failed to panic the population. I don't know whether you remember this, uh, but uh, there was a moment where they had to have heterosexual AIDS. Because ultimately, nobody cared really much about the 2% of the population that was engaging in this dangerous activity. And then, at a and then at a certain point, they had to have African AIDS, and that was totally preposterous and totally made up. And, uh, and uh, uh, I had to explain that to the Africans when I went over there. And then at a certain point, the whole HIV uh, theory collapsed as well. It's there is they never isolated uh, a, a virus. Why did they do? Uh, Margaret Heckler announced in 1984 that they had discovered a virus which was causing AIDS. She made that up because what she wanted to do was create turn what was basically a, 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 an epidemic among the homosexuals into a threat to the entire population. Number one and number two. Remove it from any connection with behavior. So it's just like you can breathe it in. You just who knows? You pick up a can of soup at the supermarket. Maybe you're going to contract. Maybe you're going to get AIDS and die. Well, that was ridiculous. It was a lifestyle disease that had nothing to do with a virus, and they couldn't say that because then you'd have to condemn the lifestyle, and nobody was going to do that at that point. 
because they were at the point of mainstreaming homosexuality for political and social engineering purposes. So it failed. And it's, if, if monkeypox is the next thing down the line, that's going to fail because nobody's going to be worried about contracting monkeypox except homosexuals. Yeah, already the monkeypox scam is being exposed. Apparently the NHS in, in the United Kingdom has edited their monkeypox page to make it even scarier. And, um, you know, so they're being caught out. I think the, the alternative media is much wiser now to the tricks that they play. Of course, they did this with coronavirus, you know, which Black's medical dictionary always defined as a common cold virus. But of course, all of that was wiped out pre the the uh, first scandemic. But that story, actually, just before we move on to Roe v. Wade and a couple of other things you wanted to mention. Yeah, this. Have you seen this, Michael? School board director plans queer night for children hosted inside sex shop. This was uh, a couple of days ago that this came out. You may not have seen it. It was in Washington State. Where else? And um, they were going to have a queer youth open mic night at a sex shop and children aged zero to 18 were invited. But I think it's been um, knocked on the head. I mean, there's a great amount of resistance going on in the States, thanks to parents. But look, this is what we've been warning about. And people called us conspiracy theorists. Oh, this is uh, in many ways, I don't want to minimize what's going on here, but it's old news. And the big battles took place in Virginia, where uh, basically one of the parents showed up at a PTA meeting and started reading from the book that was assigned to kindergarten and uh, was told to be quiet because they had children in the room. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are you talking about here? And there was uh, the, the Democrat who was running for governor of the state of Virginia was caught on camera saying parents have no rights to determine what goes on in the classroom, which the Republicans immediately seized. And that got the Republican elected. So that is a certifiable issue now that you can politicians can run with safely. And the guy who ran with it most recently was uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who passed a law saying you can't promote these types of ideas in up till third grade. So it's kind of like a, a, a symbolic gesture. But the interesting thing about it was that uh, it smoked it smoked out Disney. Uh, Disney so you the, the, everyone should have said, OK, that's that. But they they're people. The, the, the socially engineered minds of that are running Disney couldn't tolerate this. It was a total affront uh, to the homosexuals and to the Jews who run Disney. And so they freaked out and they said, we are going to oppose this law. We are not going to let this law be implemented. Well, this uh, caught Ron, Sansa, Ron DeSantis' attention. And he said, wait a minute, this is you're all going to overthrow the government of the state of Florida. Well, not on my watch. And so what happened is he took away all of Disney's privileges. They had their own little fiefdom in the middle of Florida, where not only did they not pay taxes, they got to collect taxes. They were the government. And Ron DeSantis just took that away. And now there's shock and consternation at the Disney operation. This DeSantis was interviewed by Tucker Carlson. I watched the interview and DeSantis 
was saying in this interview exactly what I had said years ago about Indiana, about the whole relationship between oligarchs coming in and telling you what laws you're allowed to pass and the governor. Now, Mike Pence was too stupid to understand the political opportunity he had. That's why he's, that's why he became vice president under Trump. Uh, but DeSantis is not stupid. And so during this interview, he said, basically, how can these people in Burbank tell the, the people of Florida what to do, what laws they're going to abide by? That's exactly analogous to what I said about Mark Benioff, the guy from San Francisco showing up in Indiana and telling him to overturn the law. So now uh, the that was the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So now you have this reaction spreading uh, throughout. I think the Republicans are smart enough to see that this is a really big issue. And I think that this type of thing is now good. Uh, it, it, it's an opportunity. I think they know that. It's just like they're playing right into their hands by uh, promoting this type of stuff. Yeah, they are. But unfortunately, Michael, in Ireland, you know, it's still very, very slow. Parents are very slow to challenge it. They're terrified to be seen to be in any way bringing any embarrassment upon their children by standing up against it. And, um, you know, they, they are very, very woke and they're very, you know, much thinking, oh, they lived in a very old fashioned, regressive society under the Catholic Church. So it's much better to have your child exposed to pornography. And this is sort of somehow healthy for them. It's very depressing that they don't see through this it. Is, this is depressing because basically what you're saying is you're about uh, 40 years behind the times. So I don't I thought everybody in Ireland had yes. some connection with America. Why am I, am I the only guy who comes over here and says basically sexual liberation is a form of political control? That's that's the new idea. That's the idea that is now spreading yes. through this country. You know, it took me a while to gain from my book to gain traction, but now it's gaining traction. And a lot of people are saying it. So why why aren't the Irish going to wake up? and understand what's going on here. We have a lot of history, a lot of water over the dam, a lot of people who have done this, and we know the consequences. So it's not as if I'm, you know, predicting something. This has already happened. And this is the main problem with Ireland, that you sold out your Catholic birthright for a mess of sexual liberationist pottage. And now it's time to wake up to the fact and do something about it. Yeah, it is. It sure is. It's getting very late in the day because we have an awful lot of very damaged children, you know, whose only obsession in life is their gender, so-called, and their sexuality. And they think that this is the be all and end all. And the brainwashing is just relentless by the media and by the education system. So we'll pay a very heavy price when these children come into adulthood and that's right you will you will yeah. and they they are betting on that they are betting that they can wreck them as children so that they can control them as adults that's the plan that's it exactly that's how they do it yeah let's um, move to roe v wade and just explain to us what has happened i was listening to a great podcast you did the other day explaining it all and you know, so if you don't mind just running through what has happened, what is likely to happen, and um, are we likely to see an end to abortion in America? Uh, no, 
but it is it is progress. So what happened here is basically that uh, one, Justice uh, Alito's uh, opinion was leaked uh, to the news. It appeared in I think it's Politico it was where it appeared. And this is significant yeah. because uh, someone had to do it. We're basically we're talking about four liberal justices and who have four clerks apiece. So you're talking about 16 people who had access to this thing and could have leaked it. And it, I saw an article that makes a strong case that it was uh, uh, a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Deutsch, who works for Justice uh, Breyer, one of the liberal judges, uh, uh, who had already written uh, liberal opinions on abortion for judges in lower courts. Uh, she's married to uh, a journalist. Uh, who writes for the Washington Post, whose best friend is the journalist who leaked the document in Politico. So it sounds pretty clear. Uh, 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 but the question is, is this going to be investigated or is Jewish privilege once again going to rear its head and make sure that only uh, unfortunate people get prosecuted by the law? But uh, what what this well, will just, do? Just explain what you mean by by Jewish privilege, because not many Irish people. I know you do every time you come on, but not many Irish people will understand that aspect of it. And you reveal some very interesting stuff in the last few weeks about how the Jews have basically admitted that abortion is a Jewish sacrament. That's, this is one of the things that came out. Okay, one of the things, one of the new wrinkles. And the whole abortion debate that I've been listening to for almost 50 years now is that the Jews are now coming out and saying abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. Now, the ADL just said that they said that uh, women are saying there is a rabbi from St. Louis who has now said that if you ban abortion, you will prevent Jews from practicing their religion. Now, I have never heard this before. This is really new. And I jumped on it immediately and I tweeted. I don't tweet, but whatever it is, wherever I'm going uh, on the media, social media, uh, Facebook, I think it is. Uh, I said, abortion is a Jewish sacrament. Now, that got a lot of angry responses. But I kept saying, well, you, you, you know, your argument is with me. You know, who are you? Some Jew gets on and he says to me, this, you don't know anything about Judaism. I'm a Jew and I go to a... I said, look, who are you? Are you the Jewish Pope? Are, are you going to excommunicate? You're more important than the ADL. You have no Jewish Pope. The fact of the matter is that Jews are overwhelmingly pro-abortion and these big organizations and virtually every woman who showed up at the demonstration is now saying that if you ban abortion... You are preventing me from practicing my religion. Wow, this is news. Why didn't you tell me this before? Because if you had told us before, then we would have known that Roe versus Wade was basically the imposition of the Jewish religion on the entire people of the United States of America. And that violates uh, the separation of church and state, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So this is new. They, the, the, the Jews are so committed to abortion that they get hysterical whenever they feel it's threatened. And I say they feel it's threatened because if this thing goes through, if uh, and I assume it will, I th the justices are angry about the leak. I don't think it's going to change anyone's uh, thinking on this thing. But what, hap what will happen here is basically that there's, let's say, the Supreme Court will say there is no right to abortion that can be found in the Constitution of the United States of America.
That being said, Roe was a bad decision. It imposed the Jewish sacrament on the entire people. They're not going to say that, but uh, that's what I'm saying. And secondly, uh, the only way we can deal with this now is send it back to the states. And that means there will be no unified uh belief consensus in America on abortion, and that's simply a ratification of the status quo. It is never, wait, the social engineers impose this on us through the Supreme Court. It has never been accepted by the American people, and now the Supreme Court has to understand that it will never be accepted, and we're just going to punt and send it back to the states. So in Oklahoma just did this, Oklahoma basically banned abortion. They said uh, life begins at conception, uh, therefore you cannot have abortion. Now, they, the, 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 the Jewish ladies get very upset about this, but that's what's going to happen. That's even stricter than the Mississippi bill, which is basically what this uh, Supreme Court is commenting on. And it means that uh, in places like Oklahoma, sorry, honey, you can't do it here. Now, does this mean abortion will be banned in the United States? No, because you'll have states like California and New York, where we have tremendous Jewish influence, and they are going to make it a sacrament, which is what the, Jew, the, the Jews consider it a sacrament. OK, and that's what it will be. It will be some type of sacred rite uh, in those places. Now, in the aftermath, I think that we have to consider what this did to us as a nation. How many, 50 million people, 50 million people who be uh, productive people now uh, helping us to get through life. OK, they're all dead. They're gone. They never had a chance. OK, what happened here is with Roe versus Wade, you established the Supreme Court established the principle that some people have privilege. And I'm going to call it Jewish privilege because that's what this is about. Uh, the Jews are people who gave us abortion. They're the ones, the main people who support it. And you can have Jewish privilege delegated to you if you uh, support Jewish sacraments like abortion. So let's say one group has privilege. That means a, a woman can kill someone else, her own child even, and will not be punished for it. That's one category. The other category is the fetus. And that is, that is a group that has no rights whatsoever not even the right to life. And what we're seeing over the course of 50 years is basically everybody got pushed into one of those two categories. So as I said before, if you're uh, Black Lives Matter, you can burn down the city and won't be prosecuted. Uh, and the press will call it a peaceful protest. Uh, if you're Because you have that Jewish privilege, you are part of that category privilege category. On the other hand, if you think the election was stolen and you have evidence for that, you will be prosecuted as an insurrectionist because you are identified as a fetus. So you're one or the other. You're either uh, someone with Jewish privilege or you're a fetus who has no rights. And that is the situation in the United States of America. And that is an intolerable situation. And if we want to survive as a nation, we're going to have to have to go back to the time to the principle that all men stand equal before the law.
Brilliantly explained. I mean, the reaction to this leak, and it would really make you feel that the leak was intentional in order to threaten and terrify the Supreme Court judges. We we are experiencing something similar enough at the moment. Um, just we are still waiting for our decision from the Supreme Court, Michael, in relation to our judicial review against the lockdown legislation and they were supposed to give their judgment about two months ago, but they told us it would be out within three weeks. And that would have been sort of the end of March. But we're still waiting and waiting and waiting. During that time, we've experienced a number of attacks, personal attacks on our property and um, various things that have been done. And like it's on a very micro scale compared to what's going on in the States. But you see how they try to intimidate judges. And I know that the Supreme Court judges of Ireland are basically, I mean, they have been told if you give John Waters and Gemma O'Doherty the nod, your careers are over. But the, these are protests outside the home of the Chief Judge, Justice of the United States Supreme Court, John Roberts. And right. just Antifa thugs. This is a, this is a federal this is, crime. This is a federal crime to intimidate yeah. a judge. Yeah. Continue. This, Sorry. This, this is a federal crime. Now, are these people going to be prosecuted? Well, no. Why not? Well, because they have privilege. It's just exactly what I told you. Okay? You have, you have Jewish privilege, which is a powerful force in our society if you espouse Jewish values. And the Jewish fundamental Jewish value, <laughs> this is not me, this is the ADL. The fundamental Jewish value is abortion. It's their religion. This is what they're saying. And you know, it, I, all these Jews, they can get all uh, upset with me all they want, but their quarrel is not with me. It's with the big Jews, the big Jewish organizations. The ADL, people like that. That's the problem. Most Irish people wouldn't know what the ADL is, the Anti-Defamation League, which is a terrorist organization. I mean, they right. basically come after the likes of you. And I mean, indirectly, they probably come through various NGOs that they will indirectly fund in Ireland. They would come after the likes of me. They say, basically send their mobs to attack um anything that we might be involved in or any public appearances and of course we know who is funding them right 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 so we know so this is uh something that we have to talk about because if we don't talk about it it will go on uh, uh getting more and more oppressive so we have to have this pushback and we have to say explain what exactly is happening and how they have achieved their power and how we can resist that power. It's that simple. That's why conversations like the one we're having right now are crucial, because we have to awaken the Irish people to the full dimensions of what happened. Where were they? Where, where were you? Where were the Irish people when they approved an abortion by referendum? <laughs> that never happened in the United States. How could you get that far? Well, because you haven't been paying attention. You're an island. You've been off on an island by yourself too long. You're listening to the wrong people. You're not understanding what we know over here uh, from uh, the expensive school of experience that we've been through for 50 years now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But do you see a major turn in America? Do you think 
that there is a shift in consciousness that people are realizing. Of course there is. Of course there is. The, the election of Donald Trump was a shift in consciousness. No one could have predicted that. No, that, that was that shook the foundations to some extent. Everything I've described to you today is a shift in consciousness. The main shift is now away from taking power away from the federal government and restoring it to the states. Uh, it's going to, in order to, proje- to project power outward, the empire needs a unified country. And that's why we've basically had this constant war footing ever since World War II. Ever si- and the creation of myths like the... the the whole World War II story, including the Holocaust, that whole narrative as a way of that increased Jewish power. And the result was that they were able to impose their views more and more on the entire country. Well, that's breaking down now. That's breaking down now. Let's move on to that, because one of the things that frustrates me a lot, and I know it frustrated a lot of people about me, until I started to confront it because, you know, the J word, like the N word was one area that you could not go to. And especially the J word, even though in Ireland has no bearing on us because we didn't have any hand act or part in any foreign war, but especially world war two. Right. Um, But, you know, I used to get a lot of abuse on the more sort of um, like channels like bitchute, you know, why am I still using these terms like Nazis and why am I still, you know, pushing the same narrative about Hitler and da da da? So I did educate myself, and I'm utterly ashamed that I was. It took me so long to understand what you know the concentration camps were about. You know that there was no, from what I can see, um, gas chambers. Uh, the evidence is there that there were no gas chambers. Um, and that we are so programmed to just, you know, churn this out. I mean, all through the lockdown, yes, you know, I probably said the Garda are behaving like Nazis. Why is it that so many in our so-called truth movement are afraid? That, well, look, it's a silly question, really, but they are terrified to examine the Holocaust and come to the conclusions that any rational person would have to come to. There were not six million Jews in Germany at the time. And, you know, the figures are off the chart. The story we've been told about Hitler is not what happened. You know, even the diaries of Anne Frank, I want you to explain that, fake. But yet so many on our side will not touch it. They will not touch it. I think the main reason, especially for Ireland, is is the Catholic Church. And that's what I've been examining, this whole turning point uh, in the Catholic Church, in the history of the Catholic Church, that began uh, after World War II, but reached its culmination uh, with the Second Vatican Council. And you can't understand this unless you understand uh, the career of Joseph Ratzinger who became president, uh, I'm sorry, who became Pope, Pope Benedict XVI. The crucial figure in the, in the history of the Catholic Church in the 20, 20th century, including its most important event, namely the Second Vatican Council. He basically took that council, took control of the council. Uh, he, he was a man, uh, so uh, Ratzinger was born in 1927, 
uh, he uh, was inducted into the army. Those desperate attempts to uh, get recruit boys. He was a teenager at that point. Uh, was in a prisoner of war camp and then was simply released and he walked back home. He was fortunate enough to have been captured by Patton's army and Patton treated the prisoners of war humanely, unlike Eisenhower, who uh, basically left them out on the Rhine meadows to starve uh, to death or die of exposure. And that led to, that combined with the bombing campaign uh, which specifically targeted civilian populations, killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of innocent people, uh, led to guilt on the part of the Americans and the need to project the guilt away. And that's where the Holocaust narrative began, began with two films about concentration camps. Uh, one was uh, the American film done by Billy Wilder that basically talked about Buchenwald. And the other one was done by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, for the British, and that was basically Bergen-Belsen, where there were a lot more corpses. So you were subjected to the shock value of corpses lying all over the place, and then they imposed uh, a category of the mind or a narrative on that picture of the corpses and said that they were all putting gas chambers and so on and so forth. Well, that's that's not true. True. And the narrative has changed over this period of time so that there was a time when they said that there were gas chambers in Dachau, which is a suburb of Munich. It turns out that's not true. They don't say that anymore. But it's like uh, so many things. Once the story catches on, the story takes on a life of its own. And that story is basically the, the Holocaust narrative. And it was imposed on the German people as a way of subjugating them and making them feel guilty uh, as a way of exculpating the American contact, uh, con- uh, the way the Americans conducted the war. And I'm saying that one of the victims of this was Joseph Ratzinger. Oh, he was a seminarian at that point. Yes, go ahead. But that, that might be a little bit advanced for some of our listeners who are more interested in the generalities of you know, well, tell us what actually happened, because it's very, very hard for people to find this information. Um, I mean, it's not readily available. All right. At all. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm, uh, we're doing a book on this. It will come out soon. It'll be available through Fidelity Press. But basically, uh, let's let's take a step back and, and parse the narrative. OK, so uh, let's take a step back to the 1880s. Okay, the 1880s, uh, the, the Jews, after the partition of Poland, are living in this band called the Pale of the Settlement on the western border of Russia. They are a constant uh, engaging in revolutionary ferment uh, leading to the assassination of the Tsar, culmination the assassination of the Tsar in 1881. At this point, pogroms break out, and at this point, the Jews start leaving in massive numbers, heading west. Uh, They're heading toward Hamburg because in Hamburg, you can get on a ship and you can sail to New York City. And that's where they were headed at this point. Now, you're talking about two very different countries at this point. You're talking about the Pale of the Settlement, which is the shtetl, the Jewish shtetl, where people are still living 
in the Middle Ages, and particularly under the hygienic conditions of the Middle Ages, which means they're infested with lice and vermin, and these vermin are vectors of dangerous diseases like typhus. So they're heading west, and when they get to the German border, they are now coming into the most hygienically and technologically advanced country in the world, bar none. And I'm referring also to uh, Great Britain and uh, America at this point. No one was more advanced in terms of hygiene than uh, uh, Germany was at this point. And so at this point, they drag these. We have reference. I give a reference to one of the books that it's, it's cited in my article. Basically, this, this book was written in 1910. 1910. Now, that's even before the First World War. And this is the account of a Jewish woman who was subjected to German hygiene uh, uh, on her way to Hamburg. Basically, the train stops. Everybody has ordered off the train. The women and the men are separated. The women are taken, uh, they're taken in. Their clothes are taken off. Their heads are shaved. And at this point, they have showers. They're in showers, and they are being uh, washed uh, in a way that they've never experienced in their entire life. This is—they are terrified. They don't know what. They can't understand what's going on. They don't know what's coming out of the shower. They've never seen a shower in their lives. Okay. At the same time, this is happening. Their clothes have been taken to another building, and their clothes are subjected to poison gas, Cyclone B to kill the vermin. At that point, they put them back together and then they go on their way and they carry these tales of terror with them. And so what happens over this period of time is the showers and the gas get conflated and now you have gas coming out of the showers. These are the stories that started circulating in London through the Polish uh, uh, government in exile, they were collaborating this way. And these conflated stories of now gas coming out of these chambers is now circulating. And that became the basis of the Holocaust narrative. Now, there are other, uh, just to give you this some background, more background, uh, Irmgard Rimland was the wife of uh, Ernst Sundel, who was one of the Holocaust revisionists. And she uh, was... Uh, a teenager at the end of World War II, and she was retreating with the Wehrmacht uh, to escape uh, the Soviet army as it was heading west. And when she gets to gets to Germany, she, she, she's feeling safe because the Wehrmacht is protecting her. She's on German soil. She's an ethnic German. She feels safe. And yet she is full of terror because she's subjected to the same thing. She's terrorized by the fact that they, they take her clothes off. They shave her head. She's German. They do the same thing to her because she is coming from the East, and the East is the realm of disease. This is where disease is coming from. And this, is, this was, in many ways, the main problem in every single concentration camp during World War II. You had people, the breakdown of hygiene, largely because of the Allied bombing campaign, which destroyed the rail lines, which destroyed the water supply. It just made everything impossible. So you have uh, uh, another example of Auschwitz. The Soviet army is heading toward Auschwitz. The people in Auschwitz uh, are given a choice. You can stay 
uh, and wait for the Soviet army, or you can come with us and we'll take you to another camp farther west. One of the people who made the decision to go with the Germans is Ailey Wiesel. Now, wait a minute. If this is an extermination camp, why is Ailey Wiesel going with the Germans and going to uh, uh, ending up at Bergen-Belsen? Well, because it's probably not what he said it was. By the way, Ailey Wiesel was a Holocaust denier in the fact that he never said there were gas chambers. His uh, the, or first idea of Holocaust was pits, pits full of flames. And Ailey Wiesel said he saw it with his own eyes. There were German soldiers throwing babies into pits of flames. And that's where the word Holocaust came from. He never mentioned gas chambers. So he's a Holocaust denier. So anyway, what happens here is that You've got this massive collapse of infrastructure in the most hygienically conscious country in the world. And all of those people who decided to leave Auschwitz end up at Bergen-Belsen when the whole thing just collapsed. The, the camp is completely uh, uh, beyond any type of ability to care for even the people who were there. Now the population has doubled and the people, there's no water, there's no clean water. And so the people started dying like flies. And that's what you saw. That's when the British showed up with their cameramen. That's what they saw. There were trenches dug there and there were corpses in these trenches. And so at this point, this is where the, the propaganda, now propaganda was involved from the beginning here. By the beginning here, I mean the end of World War II, when both the Americans and the British were coming up into these camps. They had the psychological warfare team right there with them. C.D. Jackson, uh, who became famous as the most famous psychological warrior in uh, in America, uh, was there at uh, at Buchenwald holding up what he saw, claimed was the victims of Nazi atrocities, two shrunken heads. Ridiculous. But the Bergen-Belsen was much more impressive. Billy Wilder took the picture, uh, did the filming of Buchenwald with uh, uh, with C.D. Jackson holding up a pelvis. Uh, and it was a mistake because it proved that it wasn't the way they said it was. This is nobody. Nobody seriously thinks, believes that the Germans were shrinking heads. That's what they did in Amazon tribes. And these were obviously taken from some museum somewhere. Bergen-Belsen was much more important in this regard because you actually saw lots of dead bodies there. And at this point, Alfred Hitchcock was called in. He was in Hollywood at that point, And he did the British propaganda film uh, using the footage of real dead bodies. There, there really were. But what you did was you imposed the narrative, the Holocaust narrative, the category of reality, and you said that they were all uh, killed in gas chambers. It was not the case. They died of disease. Now, that is the foundation of the Holocaust narrative. But, of course, there's a lot more to it because, you know, the fact that they went to such tremendous lengths to stop people from questioning it, a bit like John F. Kennedy's assassination or even 9-11. Um, and... I mean, the, is it the case that if you say in Poland or in Germany that the chimney at Auschwitz was built after the war, is that a, a hate? Is that hate speech? I think it is. I think is that, it is. I, I, look, uh, uh, there are fifteen thousand political prisoners in Germany who I think because they uh, question this narrative. Now that's that's an unjust law. No one 
should be thrown in jail for doing historical research. That's simply unconscionable. But what this means is that the narrative has failed to convince people. And that's that's the situation we're in today. So the infall infallible sign that you're nobody that you're you're nobody believes your story is when you have to throw people in jail for questioning it. Now this the the the, the crucial turning point here came in 18, uh, 18 in nineteen ninety three a crucial year in the change in the narrative. Uh, this was the year that Schindler's List came out. The famous movie, probably the most effective piece of Holocaust propaganda ever made. But and featuring an Irishman, Liam Neeson. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, once again, it turns out that uh, now Spielberg is a Holocaust denier. Uh, and why do I say that? Well, there's a shower scene in Schindler's. Have you seen Schindler's List? Years ago. Years ago. Okay, so uh, over this period of time, there was a subgenre called Holocaust porn, and that created some tropes as well. So, part if you're going to do a Holocaust movie, you have to have the ladies take off their clothes, uh, which is what they do in Schindler's List, and they go in, and there's the shower room, and what happens? Well, hot water comes out of the showers. Well, that's Holocaust denial. Spielberg is guilty of Holocaust denial. Uh, and at that point, why was why did he do that? Because that, at that point in time, by 1993, the standard narrative was no longer tenable. And by the standard narrative, I mean gas coming out of those those uh, showerheads. It was no longer tenable because uh, 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 two crucial trials had taken place in Canada, uh, trying Ernst Zundel uh, for. Uh, some type, I don't think Holocaust denial was a, a crime there, but it was something related to that. And it showed that basically the narrative couldn't hold. Raoul Hilberg, the dean of Holocaust historians, was subjected to withering cross-examination, couldn't defend himself, and basically recused himself from the second trial. So at that point, the, the uh, 1993 has two crucial events. You have Spielberg Schindler's List, which is back to water showers, which is a ho Holocaust denial. And then you have Debbie Lip Lipstadt uh, coming out with a book called Holocaust Denial. She created this, uh, this crime out of thin air. She wrote a book about it. And at this point, it's no coincidence this came out then because the fact that you want to criminalize this behavior is a sign that your narrative is no longer persuasive. And that's been the story ever since. And the 90s, they, they turned it into a law in Germany. And now it doesn't matter whether what you say is true. It doesn't matter. It's if you say something that the Jew doesn't like, you go to jail. That's the case in England. And if the Irish are smart, they will wake up to the fact that that will soon be the case in Ireland. You'll have another layer of control placed over you. I mean, you can understand it maybe in the UK slightly because obviously they were actively involved in the Second World War. But Holocaust denial in Ireland has absolutely no context. And as I said to you, you know, one of the, the last times we spoke shortly after uh, this was launched, this uh, notion, the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, came out with this, you know, in the middle of a scandemic, that this is a priority. 
But it goes to show, and thank you so much, I mean, to the Irish establishment, they know the amount of people that watch. We're into the over 20 million hits on my website now. So people obviously want to know about these things. And if they think that I'm ever going to stop talking talking about things that we are not allowed to talk about, that's the absolute key for me. The things they tell you you cannot talk about are the things that we absolutely must we talk have, about. We have and to talk about them. And, and we, we, need, we need courageous people like you to stand in the breach. Well, this, and my, why is my, it important? My, my image, I, I, you always come back to this image of the, the battle of uh, Vienna. The Turks have surrounded Vienna. They blew up the wall. And now there's a gap in the wall. And the Turks are going to run through the wall and slaughter everyone, except that there's one guy with a halberd there, and he's standing in the breach. Well, that's what we have to do now. That's exactly what we have to do. And eventually, have- eventually the Polish cavalry came and saved the day. Uh, uh, but when you're standing in the breach, you're hoping that they will come, but you don't know. You just have to stand in the breach with that uncertainty. That's what we have to do. But most people might, uh, you know, who are very, who may be new to all of this, might feel, well, this is totally irrelevant to anything that's going on. No, it isn't. And that's why they're making it a hate law, because the average Irish person is up to their necks in debt because of what we have allowed international jewellery to get away with. And the fact that they own the banks, they own the media, they own the Great Reset, they own the government. And unfortunately, this small and we're not talking about all Jews, obviously, We're talking about Zionists. We're talking about the people, the 1% of psychopaths who are trying to create this one world government. They are predominantly from Jewish backgrounds. And that is why we need to be able to challenge the thing that they use to stop us from criticizing them. Right. Look, look, if, if Jews aren't a threat to the Irish people, why are, why are they suddenly urging this Holocaust denial law? The Holocaust denial law is proof that the Jews are a threat to the sovereignty of the Irish people. Why else would they be interested in promoting this law? It's to subjugate the Irish people who had nothing whatsoever to do with the Holocaust. Nothing. They weren't even fighting in that war. But unfortunately, they own a lot of the debt uh, or they're going to call in a lot of the debt that the average Irish person is under or is is burdened by. And it is Jewish, you know, it's Jewish bankers that are inflicting this on the Irish people and their children and grandchildren. That's why it is important, because once the Holocaust lie is revealed, um, well, then so will the transgender lie and the gay right. lie. And it the all eugenics. falls together. That's right. It all falls. It all falls. And the mass immigration, we know that they are behind this. Right. They had a plan, the clergy plan to clergy to basically wipe out the European race and to destroy all of our unique cultures under Christendom and, you know, to bring in Africans and Asians and Pakistanis and to turn us into a brown race because they didn't like the fact that we were ethnically different and you know that we 
were very strong as, you know, cultures under Christendom. They wanted to destroy all that. That's why they've brought in hordes of migrants to Europe to destroy Europe. Right. And destroy the church, destroy the church. And that is one of the tragic stories of the 20th century and the tragic story that involves uh, Ratzinger and what I, I would have to call the hijacking of, of Vatican II. Uh, he he uh, basically there there was Vatican II was Cardinal Ottaviani's idea. It was an idea of, of the Italians who were worried about American influence taking over Italy, uh, as expressed in movies like La Dolce Vita, which I recommend to anyone if you want the situation in 1960 around the time of the council to understand what was going on in Italy. This was perceived as a threat. And, and Ottaviani specifically mentioned psychoanalysis and Hollywood, Hollywood films, as a threat to Catholic Italy. Well, that's a coded reference to the Jews because they controlled both of those things and they were having a devastating effect on sexual morality in Italy at that time. Watch La Dolce Vita. That's, that's, what, that, that's what that's about. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so, when, yes. so, so, Ratzinger now is the, the wunderkind of the Catholic Church. Frings has brought him down as his eritus during the council, and Ratzinger sees an opportunity, and basically, he he doesn't want to deal with the past. Past is bad. Let's have a new beginning. Let's let the church has nothing to fear from the modern world, and so he basically gets Ottaviani's documents thrown out. And there's a whole new council now. And it was through this council that basically the whole idea of the Holocaust got imposed on the Catholic Church. Now, this is not in the council. The council document is Nostra Aetate. It says that uh, not all Jews at the time of the crucifixion were responsible for his death, which is a way of saying that some Jews were as if we didn't know that, as if we didn't know that, uh, that the Blessed Mother didn't cry, crucify him. There were followers of Jesus Christ among the Jews at that point who did not call for his death. I mean, we knew that. But suddenly this becomes an admission that the Catholic Church has been involved in anti-Semitism for 2,000 years now. Now, that is not in the council, but the council enabled it through things like Time magazine and the media. Basically, Ratzinger himself said there was a council of the media. They took it over and they started talking about what 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 the council really meant. And at that point, I think Ratzinger uh, let the genie out of the bottle. And I think he tried to put it back in the bottle uh, with uh, uh, Samorum Pontificorum, the Latin Mass thing, and it didn't work. Okay. But th this was the story of unintended consequences. And my, my, my feeling is that, uh, I, look, I've, I've talked to people. They said that, uh, they, that Ratzinger was elected to deal with the German problem. Well, what's the German problem? Well, have you heard about the German synod? That's the German problem. A, a, a nation where sexual morality has been obliterated, obliterated. Where the, 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 the synod, the German, official German synod, the spokesman for the Catholic Church in Germany is saying, we, the church is wrong on homosexuality. Now that's preposterous. 
that, that the Germans feel that way? I mean, with all of their loss of sexual morality, they're not going to say that. This is a, a cabal of revolutionaries who has taken over the church in Germany, which somewhat, I, I, at this point, I have to mention Father Oko. Uh, oh, yes. The, the Polish priest from, uh, from Krakow, professor at the university there, was accused of uh, the crime of Volksverhetzung, which means ethnic incitement, and was uh, by a, a German Catholic priest who I suspect is a homosexual. I don't want to cast aspersions here, but there's a picture of him kissing another guy uh, on the Internet. So, uh, And he said that uh, he was offended. Now, Volksverhetzung, ethnic, folk means ethnos, it means ethnic. Uh, that sounds like racial racial incitement. Sometimes traced. Well, are the homosexuals an ethnic group? Well, the answer is, if they if the Jews say they are, they are, and that's precisely what happened in the United States. They were granted Jewish privilege. They have a protected status. They can do things that other people can't do and not be punished, and that's precisely. Uh, what the contest was in Germany. Now, Father Oko was sending me emails. The trial was supposed to take place on Friday. I hear nothing. And then on Saturday, I get word. I'm writing to Father Oko. Uh, what happened? You know, let me know. He was asking for people to show up at the court so that he would look as if he were all alone. Oh. Well, it turns out, turns out he capitulated completely. He played, uh, he said, yeah. uh, issue, yes, he did. He issued an apology. Uh, it's Gloria TV has written up the story. It's a Polish uh, TV outlet. But uh, he's written an apology, and evidently he's going to pay the fine. So that's that. He f uh, I, I hate to be crude here, but he folded like a cheap suit. That's the only conclusion I can come to. Maybe if there's another story, I'll be happy to come back and tell you the fuller story. But as I know, it looks as if he capitulated, which means now that not only can you go to jail uh, if you offend a Jew in Germany, now you go to jail if you offend a homosexual. And we, we know they are very easily offended. Okay? And as a matter of fact, if you preach the gospel, the, the gospel, uh, you will offend them and you will go to jail for preaching the gospel. That was precisely what was supposed to be contested. I was hoping that Father Oko would win. I was hoping that the German government would basically overthrow this tyrannical paragraph 130 against uh, Volksverhetzung, but it turns out that's not going to happen. Oh, wow. I'm just trying to find that there on that site, Glory TV, but I can't see it. So this has just happened, has it? Um, just as of, as of, I just got the word uh, on Saturday. Yeah. Just got the word on right. Saturday. And I'm still, still so haven't he must have, I still haven't yeah, heard he must from have Father Oko. Got it somehow. And do you you know him? Do you? I haven't met him personally, but we've been in correspondence. I published the article. I published the article that basically was going to land him in jail. I published it in Culture Wars, where it was pants it was published in German in Theologisches. Uh, which is a German uh, uh, journal, the, uh, the obviously theological journal. Um, and, uh, you know, he apparently used language in there that became the sticking point. He called this group parasites. Uh, Cardinal Muller, by the way, defended him. There was an interview uh, in German uh, where Cardinal Muller 
specifically dealt with the case of Father Oko, said that, that this was a, a sign of the corruption of both the Catholic Church in Germany and the judiciary system in Germany, and no one should be going to jail for criticizing homosexuals, no matter how intemperate their language is. Well, that's not going to happen. Germany has fallen, not for the first time. No, it's a terrible situation, and it's a terrible situation for the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church has been crippled, crippled because of this idiotic experiment, this failed experiment called Catholic-Jewish dialogue. It hasn't yeah. worked. 50 years, it has been a miserable failure, and all it's done is weaken the Catholic Church. Exactly. Look, I mean, we pray for their conversion, but um, certainly we'll, we will not stop speaking no, out and, about and I, I think this is especially, especially tragic for a Catholic country like Ireland, because mm -hmm. the, the Irish need the church. The Irish people need the church as their defender. The church defends the moral order. And because of this uh, basically Catholic Jewish dialogue, this myth of Catholic Jewish dialogue, the church has been crippled in its ability to oppose one of the main opponents of the moral order throughout the world, certainly throughout the Western world, United States for sure. Remember what we just talked about abortion as the Jewish sacrament? The church is obviously adamantly opposed to abortion, but they couldn't act effectively because they couldn't identify the enemy here. Well, fortunately, the Jews have identified themselves now, so they've done us all a favor. And of course, like it's the whole... I mean, to me, it's not even I'm not sort of, you know, the average Jewish person. And I know you're not against them either, but it's the deceit that has surrounded the Holocaust. The fact that we've been so severely lied to about that, it's so sickening and that they created this victim consciousness, which now we have in so many different sectors. You know, we are not allowed to challenge Anyone with a different skin color because we'll be called racist. Anyone right. who, right. you know, right. believes that sodomy is a morally acceptable. So that they are behind all of this, this victimhood that is synonymous with Western culture now and the inability to, you know, to the importance of being able to offend because that's what free speech is all about, to challenge and to offend. We have to stand in the breach. We have to stand because there's you know, our backs are to the wall. Our backs are to the wall, and we have to make this apparent. We have to be able to confront the Irish politicians and say, do you, do you really represent the Irish people? If so, why are you imposing this law that has no meaning whatsoever for Ireland? Why are you imposing this on the Irish people unless you're interested in stifling their ability to be, uh, have free and open discussion? There is, if you could come up with a better explanation, uh, you better soon, because I don't see any other explanation other than you have been bought off, just like the legislature in, in the United States of America has been bought off and intimidated by this lobby. Oh, no, there's no question. I mean, look, Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, does not have any independent thoughts of his own. There's no way that his people just happened to be watching my streams and said, oh, we better have some Holocaust denial legislation put in. I mean, the, the outside forces that run Ireland obviously 
um, have seen that there are people like me, you know, saying, hang on a minute here. Like we are the most indebted nation in Ireland or sorry, in Europe. It's mostly Zionist debt. And, you know, like, you know, we must not ever, ever, ever question what went on in Germany during the Second World War. Right. Now we have people doing this. And so, you know, obviously they're they're worried about it and even worried about what's happening in, in little old Ireland. Right, right. So it's, that's, collapsing. That's, it's collapsing. That's why this is important. That's why discussions like this are important. We have to raise the consciousness of the Irish people because that's the only way out. And have, we have to return to the Catholic faith as a defender of the Irish people because the forces you're, that are arrayed against you are so powerful, you have to have supernatural spiritual help. Otherwise, you'll be obliterated by these people. No question. Can I just, sorry, because I know people will be wondering when I mentioned Anne Frank there, and I know you sum up that lie uh, very, very effectively. Can you just explain why that is a lie? Well, there was, there, there's a whole, uh, the, the father was heavily involved in editing the diary. And uh, uh, Forisson, the man who was one of the first people to talk about the uh, the gas chambers and the impossibility of that, he was one. He was actually a literature professor, and he went and did research into the diaries and came up with um, better explanations of what what was going on. The, one of the f interesting things about this is that virtually every single document of the Holocaust narrative is a child's memory narrative. It's the memory of a child. Uh, uh, so it's uh, Ailey Wiesel, yes, so Yeshi Yesh Kozinski, uh, 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 an obvious fraud like uh, Vilkomirsky's fragments. They're all child narratives. Even more ridiculous, Misha and the Wolves. It turns out the lady who wrote it isn't Jewish. Uh, she had nothing to do with the the Holocaust, and uh, but because of this expectation, because uh, the Jews controlled the channels of communication, it became a film, an actual film, French film, of her traveling across Europe in a pack of wolves, nine-year-old, travels across Europe to liberate her parents from Auschwitz with a pack of wolves. That's unbelievable. Well, it is. It is unbelievable. Anyway, that, it's gone too far. It's gone too far. And where did that happen before? Where the memories of children were taken to, you know, bring down an entire culture in Ireland, you know, where the Catholic Church was beaten and, you know, bullied and um, their reputation destroyed in Ireland due to the memories of some children who came forward and right. said they were sexually abused. Now, many of them were. Many of them were not. And many good priests had their lives destroyed and many, many good nuns, uh, women who set up our hospitals and our schools and we wouldn't have had healthcare or education without them and they're being tarred and attacked every single day by the mainstream media. But, you know, so this is, you know, when you're relying on the memories of children, well, you also have to say, hang on a minute. Um, people are very, very, yeah. you know, vulnerable to pressure and being offered all sorts of brown envelopes. Exactly. You know, all of that. So, um, Michael, thanks so much. Um, culturewars.com. 
and Fidelity Press. And your new book is going to be out in two weeks about time. Is that right? <laughs> Inshallah, as the uh, Iranians say. I, I hope to have the art book, The Dangers of Beauty. It's at the printer. They announced there's a two-week delay, so we're hoping that we get the books sooner rather than later. And the name, the name, the title of the book again is? The Dangers of Beauty, uh, the Conflict Between Mimesis and Concupiscence in the Fine Arts. So it's a history of all of art, Italy, uh, a painting in the 15th century, music in Germany, a painting in Italy in the 15th century, music in Germany in the 18th century, poetry in England in the 19th century, and then the 20th century, where everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Fantastic. And I would really also recommend that people, if they want to understand more about what Michael is talking about, this, the Jewish revolutionary spirit is the definitive guide. And, you know, I found the Euro Europa documentary series very good as well. Uh, and that is on my website. I don't know whether you watched that, Michael, but it was very informative. Good, good. Great stuff. Well, listen, thank you. Hopefully you'll join me again soon. Yes. Always but a pleasure to talk to you, Gemma. And you too, Michael. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Good night and God bless.